A very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Koch. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. and in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And one of the delights of lockdown has been that I've been able to speak to people in other parts of the country because they don't have to come into the studio. And this evening I'm speaking to Leslie Lawson, who is the founder of St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Good evening. It's wonderful to have you on the program. And I know that's not all that you are, because uh, I'm sure you've done much more than that. But just give us a little background to what that means, the founder of St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. Well, I'm privileged to say that it means that um, way back in the 1980s, um, a group of us professional nursing sisters, doctors, ministers of religion became aware that there was a gap in any kind of specialized care for people who were living with a life-limiting illness like cancer at the time. And so we came together to, um, to discuss how we might be able to get a better deal for people who had probably been sent home being told, there's, sorry, there's nothing more we can do for you, or if they were in the hospital, had probably been moved down the ward furthest away from the, the sister. Because terminal care was not really something that was, was fully understood. But we had been aware of a doctor in England, a Dr. Cecily Saunders, who in the 1960s established St. Christopher's Hospice. And she too, in those days, had discovered in her role as a medical doctor that there was definitely a need for specialized care, which we came to call palliative care, for people who had a life-limiting illness. And so we went to hear her in um, Cape Town in the late 1970s. She came to give a series of lectures, and those of us, the small group of us that were in Port Elizabeth, pondering how we could help. We went to listen to her, and there we realized that this was what we were looking for. And so we came back to Port Elizabeth and began what was quite a big task in those early years of the 1980s to set up a hospice in Port Elizabeth. And in addition, there were um, folk also coming from Johannesburg, Durban, Cape Town with a similar thought and they went back to their cities and really that's in the 1980s, mid-1980s, that's when the hospice movement in South Africa gained momentum. So that's a long story to tell you my involvement. So yes, I guess founder is a word but as you can hear I was very much part of a team. Well that's an amazing story and we'll hear more about it as we go along through this interview but here comes your first choice of music it features one of our wonderful young south african soloists pretty yende and it's voices of spring by johann strauss that was voices of spring by johann strauss featuring our wonderful soloist from south africa pretty yende and it's the choice of sister leslie lawson who uh, was very instrumental in the beginning of saint francis's hospice in Port Elizabeth. Now, 
Leslie, you said it was one of a, a movement of setting up of hospices in South Africa. Is there a whole uh, sort of internet of uh, hospices in South Africa, and how many are there? Yes, we do have a national body, and in fact now there are 202 hospices in South Africa. Um, but the sad reality of that is that there were more hospices than that, but because of lack of funding over the years, some of them, certainly lately and definitely during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic where it just hasn't been possible to raise funds because we haven't been able to do events and so on. That sadly, some of those hospices, the smaller ones, have had to close. But there are, in fact, 202 hospices in South Africa that uh, some of them, a few of them have inpatient units, but all of them have home care teams because home care is really the focus. This is where people want to be, uh, hopefully, to die at home if they can, surrounded by their loved ones. Now, and that's been an interesting development because when the one in Port Elizabeth started, St. Francis Hospice, it started off as somewhere that people could go. Is that right? Actually, um, 34 years ago, actually, St. Francis Hospice was established. So we opened in 1986. Um, in the first year, we offered home care. But in 1987, we opened a nine-bed inpatient unit which was a really, really wonderful backup. Obviously, people do want to be at home for as long as possible and hopefully to die there. But sometimes, for various reasons, that's not possible. And so an hospice inpatient unit offers sort of a home-from-home -home environment where there's, there's sort of not so much focus on the kind of routine that you would have in a hospital. In a hospice, it's more relaxed. Um, so yes, an inpatient unit um, is a wonderful thing to have. And as I say, we had one in, from 1987, but in 2005, we had to close it because we just couldn't raise funding for, uh, to keep people in the inpatient unit because hospice care is always about regardless of ability to pay. Um, so you have to raise money to keep people in the beds and we just couldn't do that. But now, in a way, the work you're doing now as hospice is almost more important and you can probably reach more people. Well, that's true. Um, at the moment, um, I can say that in St. Francis Hospice, we're caring for over 200 patients a month um, in their homes. And um, St. Francis serves all areas of the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro and in 1997, we opened a branch in Humansdorp, which we call the Coca Hospice, because from that headquarters, um, the sisters and doctors serve the rural areas of the Coca region. And um, the, the other thing which is interesting is that during COVID, that uh, people have had problems, of course, raising funds and so on, but it's, and COVID is probably. I, I'm speaking under correction, is probably beyond the capabilities. Well, I can't say that, but, but it's not the sort of thing that you can deal with because it needs very specialised technical care. Yes, I think the role that hospices have, um, not all of them, some of them have felt they needed to close during this pandemic time, but many of them have stayed open, and Francis Hospice included. But what's been important 
is that people with cancer, uh, AIDS, and motor neuron disease, which is what our hospice um, takes care of, have, have still needed care. And it's been very important that our hospice patients have been reassured that whilst there's a huge focus on patients with COVID, which of course there needs to be, they are not forgotten. So our sisters, our doctor, our social workers have continued to visit patients. And obviously they have been frontline, they are frontline, but they have been continuing to visit the patients that need them and certainly have been available 24 hours on the telephone for guidance if, if a visit isn't possible. Yeah, because uh, we've heard all along that people with comorbidities are at the greatest danger. So uh, so nobody in this situation who is already getting help from hospice will want to be exposed to COVID, I suppose. No, there's been a great need to, to, protect, um, to protect people. And that's why having a professional nurse and sometimes the doctor, if necessary, visiting at home, has been absolutely crucial. Well, let's say hallelujah for that. And that's your next choice from Handel's Messiah. This is the famous Hallelujah Chorus. That was the famous Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, who is my guest on People of Note tonight. Now, Leslie, you say that uh, one of the things that's been difficult during the lockdown period has been fundraising. and perhaps you could tell us in particular how St. Francis Hospice is funded, but how hospices in general are funded. Do they get government funding, for example? Uh, currently, we St. Francis Hospice has no access to government funding. Um, last year, we, uh, we were able to access some funding, but we've actually been informed that this year even before COVID, that unfortunately there wasn't going to be any funding available in the Eastern Cape for hospice care. I'm not sure about the other provinces, um, but I do know that all hospices have a very small part of their budget paid for by the government. The rest is absolutely fundraising from events, from sponsors who kindly will will donate. but. The events that we were able to do, which of course have had to come to an end, have been very, very important um, in the area of fundraising for all hospices. We, we rely on um, corporate sponsors and who of course are taking a big knock now with, with the economic situation and also in general, people are just not able to to find themselves able to donate to our kind of situation. However, the uh, and I ask you in particular now as St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth, how are you coping with that? Well, Richard, we're worrying very much about the way forward. You know, St. Francis Hospice has been, in the beginning, was really, really came into being because of su- uh, support from, largely from the community. And it's now 34 years old and in that time we have taken care of 15,000 patients so palliative care is as relevant now as it was 34 years ago but there's always the concern will we be able to continue 
And to have a community like Port Elizabeth and, and Coker surrounding areas without the benefit of hospice care is something that we really try hard to not think about, but it's a possibility if we cannot raise the funding that we need. Just to illustrate that, do, do any other institutes offer palliative care? No. Okay, well that's important. That makes you doubly and triply important then. Um, and so what we perhaps can hope to do through this interview also is to inspire people to give not only to your hospice but to any hospice which is in their area because it's palliative care is something we may all need one day that's for sure well that that is a possibility it's you know if it's not for ourselves personally it will be for someone that we in our family or somebody that we know some good friend um, so it's really vital um, and maybe I should say when you ask me is palliative care um, only connected with hospice maybe I need to say that palliative care is a program of care that uh, palliative care is the opposite to curative so with palliative care you are accepting that the patient is not going to um, be cured but they need to live their lives with quality if not quantity, with dignity, and with a body that is as comfortable as it can be, and a mind that is as much at peace as it can be. So whilst there will be um, doctors out there who have uh, knowledge of pain and symptom control, which is very much part of palliative care, what hospice does is embrace all of that, not only for the patient, but for the family as well. So it's a program that relies on science for the pain and symptom control, the medications, the drugs that we need to use, but it's also um, a holistic approach, which involves, as I say, the patient, their body, mind, and spirit, and support for the family members or friends who are looking after the person who is in this situation and finding it very difficult to watch someone they love getting weaker instead of stronger. So the palliative care aspect, the scientific aspect, is all, um, how can I say, part and parcel of the broad hospice care, that, that uh, the support that we can offer. This is Sister Leslie Lawson that I'm talking to in People of Note. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. And her next choice of music is very appropriate for this year because it's the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. And this is a version of the famous piano piece Furelise, but for piano and orchestra. That was a version of Furelise by Beethoven, but arranged for piano and orchestra the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, who's my guest in People of Note. Leslie, you mentioned that you went to uh, a talk in Cape Town about this. What first made you interested in palliative care? Richard, in the course of, of my work many years ago now, I would have calls from people telling me that they have um, a parent, a child, someone at home, with at that time with cancer for which they had been made aware there was no 
um, likelihood of recovery and that death could be measured in days, weeks or months. And they were phoning to ask how can they help this person who's in pain or feeling nauseous or just really needing help to come to terms with what was happening. And I have to say that I didn't really have the answers. And so I went to visit um, the radiotherapy department in uh, our local provincial hospital at that time um, and met up with the doctors and the sisters working there um, taking care of patients with cancer who were going for radiotherapy and chemotherapy and they were very aware that there were um, people they were sending home but they had they had no backup uh, for someone to visit them in their home once they've been discharged from the hospital or from their clinics. And one of those doctors, Dr. Judith Van Heerden, had recently come back from St. Christopher's Hospice in London, where she'd spent some time working with Dr. Cecily Saunders, who is known to be the founder of the hospice movement in the whole world, actually. And so that's where we realized we could we could start to understand and get expertise in what was lacking at that point. And so when Dr. Saunders came to Cape Town to give a series of lectures, um, that's really how we came back and set about getting the expertise that we needed and getting the team together and starting to look at how we could establish a hospice in Port Elizabeth. That's a It's a wonderful story, actually. And, and you mentioned there the hospice movement worldwide, is it, is it a large movement? Is it in almost every country in the world? Um, I'm not sure about worldwide. I certainly know that in, certainly in, in uh, places in Africa, there are small hospice teams. And yes, in Europe and in the United States, in America, New Zealand, um, there are hospices, yes. And presumably it's growing because there are more and more people and more and more people who need palliative care. Well, it's growing, but it's limited. It is limited by the funding that it needs. That's the sad thing, that this is, this is, a, this is a program of care that is absolutely vital for people in the last stages of a life-limiting illness like cancer, like AIDS, because although um, people who have HIV are now doing really well with the medication, um, in the earlier days, in the, in the 1980s when we first began, lots of people were dying from AIDS because there wasn't the availability of the medication like there is now. So most hospices will care for people with cancer, with with those dying from um, AIDS and also motor neurone disease. But the sad thing is, the reality is that there isn't much funding available from the government in all countries, actually. Most, well, hospices around the world all have to find extra money from their own funding, fundraising um, events. And of course, those of us who are involved and see how important it is and what a difference it makes to people's lives, we find it very hard to take in that it's about money. 
because the reality is that hospice care is available to all regardless of ability to pay. That's why it's so expensive because we have to fund professional teams of our doctors, our nurses, our social workers, our care workers. Um, but yes, we have to have money to do that. And if people want to donate, particularly to your hospice or to any hospice, uh, how do they go about that? I mean, people may want to leave money in a legacy or they may want to donate money. Uh, can they contact someone? Now, I'm talking about particularly your hospice, but hospice in general. If Is there a sort of central uh, coordinating body which can help this process? Not as such, but all hospices have websites. And that would be the place to... Um, to go to see where you can donate and in what way you can you can be helpful. So I would suggest that in whatever city you're in where you have a hospice, go to the website. Obviously we have a website, hospice www.hospice-pe.co.za and there the websites give information as to upcoming events how you can support, how you can donate, and certainly um, to consider um, leaving um, a donation to hospice perhaps in your will, because one would hope that everybody has made a will. That's one of the things that um, is very important, because none of us are going to get out of this world alive. We're all going to die. Um, we have a program, St. Francis Hospice has a program um, particularly called Hospice Hero, for instance, where people can donate as little as 50 rand a month. It can be done by stop order or more than that if they wish, but there are all sorts of ways apart from attending events, which of course we're not doing currently, um, that hospices really work hard. We have, we have fundraising teams. I mean, Hospice care is about the professional teams, but it's also about the administration. Um, it's about fundraising. Fundraisers work very hard um, to try and keep hospices going. And in this particular moment, it's very difficult. So there you are, www.hospice-pe.co.za is where you can go to find more information about St. Francis Hospice. That's the hospice in PE with which uh, Sister Leslie Lawson is connected. But here's a piece now which is dedicated to all those who work so hard to keep hospices alive wherever they are around South Africa or the world. It's the famous Chorus of the Hebrew Slaves by Verdi. That was the Chorus of the Hebrew Slaves by Giuseppe Verdi, a wonderful piece uh, sung by the slaves in captive captivity in Babylon when they were longing for home. And uh, this piece has been performed at some of the fundraising events in Port Elizabeth because every year for the last, I don't know, probably close to 20 years, uh, I've been doing uh, a big concert in Port Elizabeth, which is my own hometown, uh, to raise funds for hospice, but of course it wasn't possible this year uh, because of COVID. So we hope that next year the 
uh, concerts will be allowed again, and then we can do another great fundraising concert because we've raised quite a lot of money for the hospice over many years now uh, through that concert, which was the last night of the proms. But we have another way that we're going to raise some money for St. Francis Hospice coming up in a couple of weeks' time, which is uh, a quiz. Charles Duplessis and I will do a quiz, and it's all about spring. And I see that... Uh, Sister Leslie, your next choice is The Waltz of the Flowers by Tchaikovsky, which is very appropriate for spring, and perhaps that will bring new hope uh, to everyone in hospice as well, because spring is always a good season uh, of life, as opposed, because a lot of the time, uh, well, all the time, your staff are dealing with people who are dying. So spring is a positive time, I would think, isn't it? Very much so. Very much so. Um, I think we're all longing for spring. And here it is, The Waltz of the Flowers by Tchaikovsky. That was The Waltz of the Flowers by Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, uh, who is connected to the St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. Sister Lawson, uh, Leslie, I'm sure I can call you Leslie, uh, I'm oh, just please. interested to know... Are you yourself still involved in the work of hospice or do you just have an, a sort of overseeing role now or do you act, actively get involved? Well, I'm involved. I, I'm currently the chairperson of the board. So that is quite a bit of involvement, both um, on, from the work front and from the actual, um, you know, we have a board of governors, so um, we, we need to all the time be looking at making decisions about various things um, I'm the vice president which uh, isn't really anything more than just um, saying yes I'm still here after all these years um, I do see um, on occasion uh, and it's been a bit um, on hold during this COVID time um, counseling is one of the things that um, I find um, I'm quite good at actually and um, I do meet with people who sometimes just need an ear, um, need to talk through what's happening. It might be a patient or it might be a family member. So whilst I'm not actively out on the beat as it were, um, I do find that I have the great privilege of listening to people at a very important time of their lives. Just talk to us about families, because very often I feel that it's uh, the families. I mean, the person who is uh, dying knows that they're very ill. It's the families, actually, who can't cope with that very easily. Yes, I, that is, that's true. It's really, really hard watching someone that you love getting weaker instead of stronger. And... As long as the patient is comfortable, as comfortable as can be with good pain control and symptom control and are having their needs met, the focus does need to, to be with the family who are also grieving. And they've probably been grieving, actually, from the moment when the patient was diagnosed, their loved one. And that, that might have been some years ago. Um, and it's not easy, whilst you're caring for someone, to to be able to actually do your own grief work. So there needs to be a space where sometimes um, 
the, the patient and the family member want to talk together. But there needs to be a space where each of them actually, and certainly the one who is caring, uh, might be the wife, the husband, anybody in the family, and indeed good friends. We mustn't forget sometimes people are cared for by good friends. Often families are far away these days. We live in a global village, and it might be a very good friend who's doing the caring, but whoever it is, there needs definitely to be a place where they can be feel free to express how they feel. It might be that they feel angry, that life is unfair, which of course it is. Um, they might need to be encouraged to cry, to, to know that crying is okay, that you have to express your sadness. And, and fears for the future. It might be that the patient is the husband and the wife. They have young children. The wife is worried about um, how she's going to cope in the future. It might be that the patient is the mother of children and she has to talk about who she would like to be part of caring for those children when she's no longer there. And that's why in the team social workers are very important. The sisters too are trained with communication skills, but social workers too need to be there um, to help with that kind of counselling and also social aspects because sometimes the patient might be the breadwinner and can no longer work. So there are financial difficulties. So, yes, certainly the carers, whoever they are, for various reasons, also holistically, body, mind and spirit, they need to be cared for. Physically, they get tired. And we need to help them find um, an opportunity to have a break, maybe to get someone else to come in. So, yes, the care of the family. That's why hospice care is, is there for the family as well as the patient, because it can't work if the carers don't also have support. We're going to listen now to the Flower Duet by Leo Delib, and then I want to talk a bit about children and their families, because sometimes it's children who are dying also. So here's the famous Flower Duet from Lakme by Delib. That was the famous Flower Duet from Lakme by Delib. The singers were Sabine de Vier and Marianne Krebassa, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, who's my guest in People of Note. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027, broadcast from Houghton in Johannesburg. And I just want to say thank you very much to Mataba Tabachadebe, who helps me put these programs together. I'm speaking to Sister Leslie Lawson, who is the founder and the chairperson of St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. Hospice is part of a worldwide movement of people who care for, who provide palliative care for people who are dying and also for their families. We haven't really talked, uh, Leslie, about children. This is a very special uh, occasion in people's lives, not a special occasion, but a, a very special problem in people's lives because most people don't expect their children to die. Well, before them, yes. anyway. Yeah. Exactly. We, we don't expect to outlive our children. Um, children, I think we have to know, actually, children are incredibly resilient, I have found, we have found. Not only when they are patients, but also when 
they have to face the fact that one of their parents might be dying. Um, I think I think we need we need to remember, as I say, that children are also stronger than we think, um, and children cope best in the reality of what's happening. They they're very clever at sensing that all is not well when you might be telling them that it is. So honesty with children, whether they are the patient, obviously to give them information that is within their um, age group, can I say. Obviously you talk differently to a four-year-old than you would to a teenager. But in our experience we find that to be as honest as possible with children is, is the way to be the most helpful. Um, I can remember a little girl, well she was 12 actually, who was a patient and um, her father was her main carer. Um, he, he used to go with her to Cape Town when she needed to have her treatment. And I remember one day as she was, I was visiting her and she was really by now not very strong. And when her, her parents had gone out of the room she just said to me, please look after mummy and daddy when I go because I know they're going to find it very difficult without me. That's the kind of strength that children have. I think when children are in a family where a parent is dying, uh, there's a tendency perhaps to think that we don't need to explain things to children, but in fact we do. We need to, if, if, um, if, if we need to do a little procedure or something at home, within the bounds of what they can understand, we, we need to be able to explain to them why we're coming and what we're going to be doing. And as I say, that's, that's the reality that we have to know. Children need to be kept in the picture, not out of it. It's a family event. And if there are children involved, whether they are patients or whether they are part of a family that has this kind of situation, to, to keep them informed at the level they can understand. So there we are, wise words from Sister Leslie Lawson. And Leslie, I haven't been asking you whether uh, some of this music has particular resonance with you, but I'm sure this next one does by Van Morrison, Have I Told You Lately? You know, Richard, when I was thinking about the music um, and the songs, I was, I was thinking about just sort of a little bit of thinking about what we need to do in our lives, not just not just when we know that somebody is dying, but we need along the way to be telling each other, I love you. Um, and this one, have I told you lately that I love you? I thought, just echoed that thought. So here it comes, Van Morrison, have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you lately that I love you? Uh, the song by Van Morrison, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, who's my guest in People of Note. Now, obviously, one of the connections that I have with, with you and St. Francis Hospice and Port Elizabeth is through the last night of the proms, uh, which we do in PE every year, and it's been very successful since it started. One of the singers or some of many of the singers that we've featured in last night of the proms have gone on to be great successes in south africa because it's a great place to 
uh, feature young soloists. And I noticed that the three tenors are coming in up next at a concert that they did in Bath. And we've, uh, one of the, as I said, one of the features of the concerts has been young singers. Um, do you have a particular enjoyment of singers? Yes, I do. I really appreciate um, songs that have meaning and singers. I mean, I'm particularly, uh, and I must just say, Richard, again, just to say thank you for all you've done over the years. You know, the proms is one of St. Francis Hospice's biggest events of the year. And I just knew I would need to have the Hallelujah Chorus in there because I'm missing it this year. So thank you very much for it's a pleasure. being there for us. Um, um, yes. So, sorry, I've forgotten what you asked me now. About singers. Do you, do you have a particular liking for singers? I mean, were, did you ever take part in music yourself? You know, my thing was always ballet. Um, I just loved ballet and I did ballet. And I always wished that either I could sing beautifully or I could play an instrument. And I haven't done either of those. And I don't sing very well. So I do appreciate a lovely voice. And I think with Pretty Yende, what is so special about her is to have seen her in those early days when she, you had her at, I can't remember how long ago it was now, Richard. A long time ago. She yeah. was very much at the beginning of her career. And yes, and to watch how she has matured and um, become this international star, apart from having a beautiful voice, it's a very special feeling to be able to say, wow, she's kind of coming from our neck of the woods almost, and, and we've watched her. Um, so that kind of voice is, is a very special for me. Um, and any, yeah, I think I would say mostly it's about words. I love words and voices, yes. And some, some voices sound better singing some words than others, I think. So meaningful, a meaningful song is very important to me. Well, and here are the three tenors singing It Is Well With My Soul. That was the famous three tenors from a concert in Bath singing It Is Well With My Soul, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson. Now, I see uh, another number. In fact, you've got a few singers coming up now. Uh, Leonard Cohen, Andrea Bocelli, Sarah Brightman, Catherine Jenkins. Uh, these are all... Uh, important singers and many of the pieces that they're singing we've actually had at concerts in Port Elizabeth because that's where Sister Leslie Lawson comes from. She's the founder of St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. Uh, Leonard Cohen, This we certainly had Hallelujah at one of the concerts. Yes, Leonard Cohen, I find, um, I find his words often very meaningful and the one that I have chosen um, I thought was a really is a really good lesson for us in that um, we we mustn't be afraid of imperfections within each of us because we all make mistakes in our relationships in our work in our families uh, and brokenness doesn't <clears throat> need to be seen as failure and when he sings about there is a crack in everything, that for me resonates with the imperfection. And that only when a crack uh, in something can the light get in. And I think that means for me a chance to heal, a chance to realize that no one is perfect, that to learn from that. 
And I would even say you could see death as a crack, in a sense. But even in death, um, there can be healing. Healing for the person when they've wearied a long time. Death can be a relief for the patient, but also, I think, um, for the families who, who've done their best and they've watched and they've waited and now it's time. So his song for me echoes something of that. That was Anthem by Leonard Cohen, uh, the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, my guest in People of Note tonight. You mentioned there, Leslie, that almost that having a death in the family could be an important learning experience if if it's treated properly, because this is something we all have to face at some time. And how we face it is rather important. And I wonder if there's a, a difference in communities in South Africa about how we face death. I think there is. Um, there is to a certain extent. Um, in some cultures, speaking about death um, is, not, um, is not as acceptable as it might be in, in each, each culture. But I think what unites us is that it needs to be, the person needs to be as comfortable as possible, a body that is as comfortable as it can be. And I think everybody thinks dying from something like cancer has to be painful. But with the right kind of pain control, um, it can be comfortable. It can be comfortable. And it doesn't mean that the patient is sedated out of, out of reality. But one of the important things, as with everything, is being able to talk about what you're feeling, what a person, you know, what you as a person are feeling about the fact that you're needing to face your death. Having said that, not everybody can face up to it. We all deal with things in different ways. And sometimes denial has been a very good coping mechanism for people in their lives. And we always say, you actually die as you've lived. If you've used denial as a coping mechanism to get through life, you probably will, will go towards the end believing you are going to be better. And that's okay. That's, people don't have to face up to anything that they're not ready for. But it's always interesting to me, or has been interesting over the years, to see how, how people with the right kind of support and opportunity to express how they feel can actually come to a place where they are accepting the fact that life will be coming to an end. It's not something that we generally think about. I think we live in a death-denying society. But the reality is that we are all going to die. And if we can come to that place and see death as a friend, it actually tells us we don't have forever. And it can make life more meaningful. And it's very appropriate that your next choice is Time to Say Goodbye. Time to Say Goodbye. That was Andrea Bocelli and Sarah Brightman performing the choice of Sister Leslie Lawson, my guest in People of Note tonight. And you mentioned right at the beginning that uh, you, it was body, mind and spirit you joined together with uh, perhaps ministers of religion and doctors uh, obviously, faith plays a large part in 
the work that hospice does and it doesn't have to be just uh christian faith faith uh, in the future and in peace to come and i'm sure because i see your next choice is make me a channel of your peace i'm sure faith plays a large part in all of this as well yes it does for some people um, of faith and of course um, all hospices and certainly our hospice in Port Elizabeth acknowledges all faiths and even people of no faith. But um, hospices were in actual fact the very early hospices in medieval times were, were run by the, um, the priests, the sisters of charity. Um, in those early times, um, much like Mother Teresa did her work, they would go out onto the street and bring in the sick and the dying to their to their places where they lived, and they became known as hospices. So hospices always had a connotation with faith. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say that all hospices are built on faith, but many of them are. But certainly, all hospice uh, all hospices would acknowledge. Um, all uh, all faiths um, and as I say no faith because sometimes people have faith in just have faith in what they believe uh, to be to be true for them um, one of the most peaceful deaths I ever witnessed was a gentleman who was an atheist and he believed that at his death his body would go into the ground and it would be the circle of life he would feed the earth. And so he died very peacefully. That was his faith. But yes, certainly faith in religion, in God, however uh, you reach him, how you or her, how you perceive him or her to be, um, needs to be respected. And ministers of religion play a very important role for some people, especially at the time as they're approaching the end of their lives. And, and your... Uh, hospice is called St. Francis Hospice and Make Me a Channel of Your Peace is particular to St. Francis. Here's Catherine Jenkins. That was Catherine Jenkins singing Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. And I'm very happy to see that you've got a piece by uh, a Port Elizabeth composer, Peter Louis van Dijk, coming up. This is uh, a piece called To a Dead Man. This is an unusual choice. Um... Yes, I, I, um, Peter and I know each other well, and I, I really appreciate his, um, his, his talent. And actually, this, I have to say, this was a piece that he suggested, and I listened to it, and I know it contains some sadness, and he wrote it to comm commemorate particularly 9-11, and I think all wars, actually. So, yes, this is uh, in honour of Peter, my friend. So, Peter Louis van Dijk, To a Dead Man. That was a piece by Peter Louis van Dijk, South African composer who lives in Port Elizabeth, called To a Dead Man. And perhaps appropriately, because his wife, Junita, runs the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University Choir, I notice that your next choice is What a Wonderful World, which is a very, very positive piece. Yes. I Obviously, Peter and Junita, they were my neighbors for a long time, actually. And this choir has done so well. And I just thought we need, 
we need to have a song that speaks about a wonderful world. So, yes, we do have a wonderful world, and one day, soon, I hope, we'll be able to experience it again in its fullness. That was the famous piece, What a Wonderful World, originally made famous by Louis Armstrong, but taken up by many people since then with very positive words. And there it was sung by the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University Choir under the direction of Junita Lamprecht van Dijk. And I mentioned just previous to that Peter van Dijk. They are a couple, and it's great to have both of them next to each other in this program chosen by Sister Leslie Lawson. And we're coming towards the end of the program now, and uh, I just want to mention again that if you want details about this particular hospice, St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth, you can go to www.hospice-pe.co.za. All sorts of information there. And if you want to donate money, are, the, are all the details there, uh, Leslie, banking details and so on? Yes, they are. They are. You will find everything that uh, everything. You will find everything you need on our website. Yes. So there um, you are. If there were any, sorry. Yes. Can I give a, a telephone number yes. just in yes. case? Yes. 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 All right. That's zero four one three six zero seven zero seven zero. Well, that's a nice easy number to remember. Zero four one three six zero seven zero seven zero. That's about hospice in PE, but but you may have a hospice near you or a hospice that you're already connected to. And if so, please bear in mind that all hospices are suffering at the moment from a lack of funds because they haven't been able for five months or six months now to do their normal fundraising activities. So do please support your local hospice, uh, and particularly tonight because we're talking about it, St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth, www.hospice-pe.co.za. And obviously, PE is close to my heart because that's where I was born. And uh, your final choice of music, just before we get there, I just want to say also that in in a week's time or so, we're going to be running a quiz in aid of St. Francis Hospice in Port Elizabeth. This will be Charles Duplessis and myself. And you can find uh, details if you go to Charles Duplessis Piano Man. It's a Facebook site. Charles Duplessis, Piano Man, you'll find information there about the quiz which is coming up and it'll be a fun quiz for the whole family. So if you're gathered, you might even be gathered around someone's bedside, you can join in the quiz. Charles Duplessis, Piano Man. Your final choice, uh, Leslie, is a wonderful piece called Bawotiklo Somandla, uh, which we've also sung at uh, the fundraising concerts in Port Elizabeth. It's a powerful song. Uh, why have you chosen this one? Well, I think it's a praise song, and I think um, Bawa, Father, lead us. I just thought that was a good thing to be, to be saying to us all. Well, it certainly is. It's a very powerful number, and uh, I just want to thank you, uh, for all the work that you do in Port Elizabeth through hospice and just for spreading the message of love and comfort that you do. Thank you. That's Sister Leslie Lawson, who's been my guest in People of Note. That's the program you've been listening to here on Classic 1027. I'll be back 
every night during the week with full works here on the radio program. And I'll be back next Sunday with another interesting guest in People of Note. So thank you at home for listening. Thank you, Matabataba Hadebe, for helping me put this program together. And a special thanks to all the people who do work in hospice in Port Elizabeth and around South Africa and indeed around the world. Until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a comfortable and a safe evening.